Good morning. I'm so uh, thankful to be here today, and um, we have a special guest this morning, uh, Alyssa Chil- uh, Elisa Childers. What am I saying? What is your name? Elisa. Elisa. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's all like, right. Yeah, I've been here since, you know, I've been up early, but uh, yeah, we're so thankful uh, that you're here, and I was just thinking uh, during the opening songs, and I was like, gosh, you know, you got to see three very different services, and and, um, and in the context of some of the things you're talking about, I just, I just had this moment where I was like, man, I'm so grateful uh, for Bethany. And uh, it's not about you necessarily, but just that we're able to have such a variety of ways of coming to God. And yet, um, I believe that we still look to the truth in all these services. And, um, and so there's lots of expressions of faith, uh, but we want to make sure we're anchored in what's important. And, um, and as we've, I've heard you speak a few times and I've had conversations with you, I'm just like, you know, um, you just can't, you have to stay here now. You have to stay here Aww. and, uh, and uh, you know, continue, you just, we'll just put you on staff, okay? All right. And, and uh, I hope your husband doesn't mind and your kids. <laughs> um, but um, it's been a, truly a pleasure. I think uh, what was said in the Bible study is that maybe you're, you're, you're scratching an itch or, or uh, hitting something that maybe... Like I said, in other services, I kind of knew it was out there, but um, I don't think it's always as obvious and apparent. And so just for the context of everyone gathered here this morning that maybe wasn't in the Bible study time or part of your workshop yesterday, uh, share just a little bit about who you are and what brought you here, um, obviously, and kind of why we have you here today. Well, it's been just wonderful being with you all this whole weekend. Um, truly a delight. I feel like I was ministered to as much as, you know, probably more than it, you were ministered to by me, I hope. And so um, just basically what brought me here to you today, I never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing today. I've always been more of a flaky artist, not an intellectual at all. Um, but I've loved Jesus my whole life. Ever since I was a little kid, I, I loved Jesus and I knew that the Bible was God's word. I just believed that with my whole heart and did my best to follow him. I didn't really have an intellectual explanation for those things, but I just knew they were true. And so I wouldn't really encounter any significant doubt about what I believed until I was an adult many years later, uh, even after spending a few years in the contemporary Christian music industry as an artist. After that ended and we came off the road and by this point, I was married with a, with a baby, and my husband and I started attending a church in the heart of the Bible Belt in Middle Tennessee in the Nashville area where we live, and um, we loved this church. And after about eight months, the pastor invited me to be a part of a smaller study group, and he said, you know, if you go through this class, it'll be like going to seminary. And so in the context of this very small, exclusive class, the pastor basically revealed to us that he was agnostic, that he wasn't sure what he believed about God. And then over the course of the time that I spent in the class, all of the precious beliefs that I had held about Jesus and God, and really especially about the Bible, these things were picked apart and explained away. And it propelled me into a faith crisis that really brought me up to the edge of agnosticism. I didn't fully lose my faith, but really did not know whether or not God even existed at all. And so God in his faithfulness led me to years of studying and uh, just church history, theology, philosophy, um, the Bible even deep more deeply. And I found the answers I was looking for and came out on the other side of it, I think with um, a, a deeper persuasion that what we believe is true. And so I like to help other people with those kinds of questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of what you point to, I think, 
You know, what I, what I, for me, one of the harder times for me spiritually was actually when I was at the seminary, and, and partly because, you know, I, the seminary's goal uh, was not to challenge my faith, it was to make me more competent and, and faithful as others challenge faith. But when you're in that context and it's very academic, I thought it was going to be like this big spiritual experience, and it's like, let's translate the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all this stuff, and... And, um, you know, and you start to hear about different um, takes on Scripture, interpretations on Scripture, different uh, ideas about scrolls and accuracy of history and all this stuff. And they do it to help you understand. And, and I think when I was in seminary, I kind of thought, um, my analogy was like, uh, in the early service, was like the cat was kind of let out of the bag. Like, I was totally naive. I was just like, well, I felt like God was leading me to be a pastor I felt affirmed in my faith. It seemed like people were encouraging me, and I get there, and it was like my jaw dropped. I was like, what is going on? And, um, but then, as we've kind of, as time has moved on and, and things have progressed in culture, um, a lot of things that I heard of the seminary are becoming, I guess, mainstream. And, and I see it on social media, and I see people talking about it, and I just think, um, I don't know, I think... Part of what we're noticing just from the energy around this is just people feel ill-equipped and, and challenged by it. And so what, just kind of share, if you would, sort of what you think some of the um, challenges to, I'm going to say orthodox Christianity are right now, and um, what do we need to be paying attention to or at least start to acknowledge or notice in the midst of everything going on? Well, that's a great point about things, you know, used to be well known in academia, but the average person in the pew wasn't aware of, you know, how we, the manuscripts were copied to get the, to the Bible, which is, you know, it can be a little messy at times. And so now with social media, everything's just kind of out in the wild and often with a very rhetorical, persuasive twist to deconvert Christians yeah. and to make you doubt um, your Bible or this faith that's been passed down to us. So I think we have um, several challenges. Some of them are intellectual, although I do think the primary challenges we have, it used to be in apologetics, we were trying to answer the question, is God real? Yeah. And I think today we're trying to answer the question, is God good? Is Christianity good? Because we have kind of this mass exodus happening of people in deconstruction who have decided that you know, foundational Christian beliefs are toxic and harmful to people. And sometimes that's mixed up with maybe a genuine experience they've had of spiritual abuse. And so that all gets kind of tied together. So I think that, that deconstruction is a huge challenge. Of course, I write about progressive Christianity, which I think is a huge challenge, uh, primarily because the church where my faith was challenged years later rebranded itself. It, they, they, took down the Apostles' Creed that we all just confessed, and they wrote their own creed and put that in its place and basically said, we are now a progressive Christian community. And so that's when I really dug into the movement to try to figure out, you know, what do progressive Christians believe? Because they sounded like atheists to me when I was in the class. Like the claims that were being made, it was the same claims atheists were making it. They were calling themselves Christians. And that's not to say that progressive Christians are, are atheists, but it's definitely, I think, there's a trajectory toward unbelief um, through the vehicle of progressive Christianity. So I think it's a huge challenge, too. Yeah, and, and one of the things, too, I noticed from your talks and just conversations, um, we all use, I mean, this is true with a lot of things in the world, but we all use the same words, um, but sometimes have wildly different meanings behind right. those words. And so one of the things that I, I wish, you know, I, I was watching you, you know, share your thoughts on Saturday and, 
and uh, you were talking about some of the tenets of progressive Christianity, like uh, you know, the eight, now six, or however many points of it. And one of the things you were just talking about is how they emphasize or de-emphasize eternity and heaven and hell and how they make it all about the here and now, and therefore you see strong streams of social justice and environmentalism. And again, not all bad things, but it becomes really focused. And all I kept thinking was, oh, just last Sunday I preached a sermon where I was like, here's the beginning and here's the end, and we tend to think about eternity, but like, God tells us to number our days, our life is important, and we should be intentional about how we live. And, and as you were talking, I thought everyone in the room now is going to think I'm, a, I'm that pastor that's going to invite them to a class. And be like, wait, wait. surprise! <laughs> I'm he a invites you to a class. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't. No. yeah exactly. Uh, and so I just thought, oh, you know, there's some nuance there, and I think that's also what makes it tricky. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious, like, how do we discern that? What's the best way right. to do it? And that's, I think this is a great question and a great point to bring up. Because very often what we see in progressive Christianity is an overreaction to something that the church hasn't done well, right? right? So, excuse me, I've got like a frog in my throat this service. But uh, so, for example, in that that instance, you know, in the 80s, 90s, there was this kind of emphasis on the big altar call kind of type of conversions where, and I, I know a lot of people who faithfully serve the Lord after giving their heart to Christ at an altar call. I'm not against that. But I think the net effect it had on some people was just this idea that, oh, I just have to sign my name on a card or pray a magic prayer, and then I get to get out of hell. It's like your get out of hell free card, and I'm just going to live my life and then buzz off to heaven when I die, and I'm not going to worry about what happens in the meantime. Well, that wasn't right either, right? right? And so the progressive pendulum sort of like recognized that and went so far to the other side. So I think the answer is is that we want to just be biblically faithful Christians. And the Bible does have a lot to say about the here and now, right? right. So um, what we don't want to do is say, well, because the progressives have overreacted here, we're going to overreact again and do this. No, we just want to be faithful Christians that believe what the Bible says. And sometimes like that group's going to agree. And sometimes that group's going to agree. But the main point being to just kind of don't get on the pendulum swing, but just Live for Christ. Read your Bible. Know what the what the Bible says, and uh, and and be obedient to Christ as best you can, and glorify Him with your life. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I agree. And and we've kind of teased around this all morning, and you know, and and you're kind of addressing it now is the importance of actually knowing the Bible and biblical literacy. And and um, I think I mean I think it's hard for people. I mean, on one hand, it's it's like you just read it. But then you hit, you know, like Leviticus, and, <laughs> and you, you know, you read a verse about, you know, a woman taking a tent, you know, spiking it through a guy's skull. And, JL, yeah, my JL. favorite Bible character. Mine too. I love it. <laughs> I love the energy of that verse, but yes. that passage. And she sings a happy song afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, anyway, if you don't know that story, you it's are, you're not you biblically literate, right? You need to read JL. the Bible. Yeah, yeah. JL. Um, but it's not only that, but like, there's a lot of... I mean, especially in the Old Testament, it's like the strange uncle, you know, that is at the family dinner that you, you kind of love, but you don't quite know what to do with. Yeah. And so I think when people approach scripture, there's also questions about not just what's in it, but how do we, what do we do with it? And I think a lot of the challenge, and this is what's, this is my point is like you, it, it's simple to say, just read it. And I, and I agree, we just need to read it, but then we're bringing stuff to it and, and culture is bringing stuff mm-hmm. to it. And also there's 
interpretation at play, like is it prescriptive, descriptive, allegory, metaphor, whatever. And um, I just think about all this and I think, gosh, just how overwhelming that sounds to me just saying that. And I'm like, gosh, does everyone need a seminary degree yeah. to really address this culturally um, and defend against it culturally? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think everyone does need a seminary level education, but I do think living in our current well, I think of any of all times, every Christian should read their Bible, right? Every Christian, we should read our Bible, but also there are some things we have to understand about it in order to read it properly. And this is kind of what you're getting at. We, we have to realize that the Bible isn't just one book. It's actually a collection of lots of different books that have different genres. There's books of poetry. There's books of history. There's law codes. There's um, verses that are instructive for the church. There's other verses where somebody's simply saying something to somebody they're talking to, and it's actually not for you, you know? Yeah. And so I think just understanding some really basic rules of interpretation is important, recognizing that there are lots of figures of speech in the Bible, certainly. Um, and so to take all of that into account and just give the Bible the, the sort of same courtesy that we would give any book by recognizing its genre and trying, and the main point being to try to understand understand what the author intended to communicate. And I think that's, you know, a good starting place for Christians. So reading the Bible, but also realizing that the Bible doesn't approve of everything it records because there's some really dark times in Israel's history where people do some pretty awful things and we wouldn't want to emulate that. So um, I think coming to it with that kind of an understanding and just having a, a basic working knowledge of what the Bible actually says, and having some biblical literacy is important. Yeah, and I, and yeah, 100%. The reason why I bring that up, or brought this up in all the services, is I think when I do the endless scroll of social media, a lot of this progressive Christianity or this unorthodox sort of a take, it just, it subtly twists that interpretation just a little bit. And it sounds reasonable and yeah, good, and yeah. you're like, oh, that's interesting. And, and I think if you're not like a little guarded, um, you can quickly just get swept into it. And, um, and so, yeah, what's, I mean, I mean, we've kind of talked about how we guard, I mean, we've got to be biblical literate. We've got to sort of look at maybe what the text says. And, and, um, and you kind of said something in the, every, every, every interview's been different. We didn't, I mean, we hit the same things more or less, but I, you know, just as the morning progresses, each service feels a little different and I hear something different. But you uh, shared in the uh, class um, you just kind of made this comment about, um, I lost my train of thought, anyway. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> about the Bible? Well, sure, uh, sure. <laughs> Jesus, I the answer's was, always I Jesus. I definitely was drawn to the story about being made fun of for being bald um, that you yes, shared. Yes, well, I shared everyone yours. be warned, don't make fun of me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, you know, as, as people experience the Bible and as they engage in culture, um, you talked about sort of, you, you talked about this on Saturday too, sort of this phase one, phase two, and, and I don't, we maybe don't have time to unpack all of that, but um, a lot of times we find ourselves reacting to people that we have strong emotional connections with. That's right, yeah. And, and I think that complicates it, um, but not always in a bad way necessarily, but not only do we just have the intellectual, like how do we read the Bible, do we read the Bible, how do we interpret the Bible, but also, gosh, there's just a lot of strong emotions, like yeah. why are they coming at me with this, or what is their intention behind it, and, and then how do I respond, not only faithfully, but like, gosh, that's, in some cases it's your child, or it's a brother or sister, 
Um, and, and so what's kind of your thought on how we are, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, yeah. and mind, and love your neighbor as yeah. yourself? Yeah. Now, I'm glad you asked this question without getting too deep in the weeds. I think it's just important to process information, realizing there's kind of two aspects to what you're learning. If you're studying some sort of, you know, if you're engaging a question or a doubt that you have or that somebody you love has, there's a difference between learning the information and saying, okay, this is what, you know, I'm wrestling with this question. Here's the information. This is what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's a totally different, that's the what, you know, but then the how is a different question. How you're going to communicate that to the person in your life who might be swept up in some of these ideas is a totally different question. And it could be that the relationship is fragile and you want to just use a really light touch, or it could be that you're real close and you're used to kind of bantering back and forth and then you have the freedom to do that. But it takes, I think, a lot of wisdom, especially because the pull of some of these ideas are very emotionally compelling because they speak to uh, a lot of times people have been through church abuse or they've been through some sort of a, a scenario that has put um, you know anything from a bad taste in their mouth about Christians to legitimate trauma that they've been through. So there's all of those things at play. So I think it's really important when we have these discussions to realize that the how is different than the what. And um, there, there's times, you know, it's like, I think of Job, what miserable comforters you are when his friends were, you know, yapping yeah. about all this stuff. And so it's, you know, I think there's a time to cry with those who cry, and there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. And all of that just takes wisdom and asking the Lord to help you. And, and this is the thing, too, I always like to say, and this came up in the Sunday school class, is that, you know, if you blow it, that's okay, too. Just go and tell them, I blew it, I'm sorry, I really overreacted, I love you, and like, this is emotional for me, can you give me some grace on that, I'm really sorry. That's fine, you know, it's, it's, it's a relationship, and so there's going to be some of that, none of us are always going to react perfectly. Right, and it affirms what we hope they understand too, which is, like, <laughs> you're walking the talk in a way, like, you acknowledge you're broken, you're sinful, yeah. you don't get things right, and you need forgiveness, I think that's beautiful in some ways, um, if they pick up on that, you know? Um, yeah, one of the things you know, I just shared with all the, the services, and you know, I don't, I try not to make everything about me or my family, but um, that's my experience a lot of times with my own faith. And, and one of the things that struck me is, you know, you recorded a special video for us, and thank you for that. And uh, what you said in the video is like, come with your questions and your curiosities. And my ten-year-old son on that Sunday looked over at me, and he was like, I have questions. And I was like, eh, I'm sure you do. And he was like, I want to go. And I, I almost said no, because I was like, it's really not, your, your yeah. market's not 10-year-olds, right? It was like three and a half hours yeah, of talking. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see sense. a single puppet. You didn't sing a single song. No puppets, so, no. Um, not this time. Not this time, right. And um, so I brought him yesterday, and I, I didn't know how he was going to respond. Um, I, kept, I asked him no less than like three or four times, are you bored? Are you okay? Should I text mom? And, um, and he, in the middle of the conversation, he did have a question, but he was too embarrassed to ask. And so I asked you, like, you, you know, everything's based in the Bible. You go to Scripture. We find our creeds, our confession, our truth and that. And, and then at the end of that whole conversation, he was like, most of my questions are answered, but I have just one. And he was like, how do I know the Bible is true? And, and I think that's a big, I think that's the cultural question, right? What is truth? How do we know yeah. that is truth? And um, yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah we're, we're really in what's being called a post-truth culture. 
And um, this is, I think, a result of postmodernism being kind of the dominant philosophy in our culture, which if you're not familiar with what postmodernism is, it can really be summed up with the phrase that I'm sure you've all heard, you know, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me, right? That's kind of the relativism that is uh, dominating our culture. And so I think what our culture has done, though, is it's not that they deny that truth exists in certain areas, right? Truth classically being defined as a belief or a statement that corresponds with reality. In other words, believing what is real is truth, or speaking what is real is truth. And I think our culture acts as if that's true when it comes to things like science and medicine and math, but they've taken the categories of religion and morality, in other words, what we should and shouldn't do as human moral agents, and they've put that outside of the realm of objective truth, basically saying that if there is objective truth on those things, nobody can claim to know it. And so what we have is basically, and if that's true, that's scary, because if morality is just what's true for you, and in my morality is just what's true for me, then whoever's the biggest and the strongest gets to decide what's right and wrong, right? Because they can implement their way. And that's, that's not a good idea. That's gone really bad in human history in the past. So as Christians, we know, though, that there is objective truth on those things, and it flows out of the nature and character of God. In fact, the Christian faith is unlike any other religion in that it stands or falls based on the resurrection of Jesus being a real event in history. So in that sense, you could actually prove Christianity false if you could prove that Jesus was not resurrected from the dead. Other religions don't work like that. They're more pragmatic. Like, here's the eightfold path. You know, do these things, and your life will have more peace, and you'll be more happy. And you do what works for you, right? But Christianity doesn't work that way. In fact, sometimes it's not going to feel like it's working for you. In fact, Jesus said that. The world's going to hate you because they hated him because he convicted the world of their sin. And so I think um, as Christians, we need to reclaim that idea of objective truth. There is an objective right and wrong. There is an objective reality to whether or not God exists, who he is, how, which holy book is the right one. Uh, there, there are objective truths on these things. Um, and it's not saying we can know everything, right. but we can know some things. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, I think it's just important. I think that's an important truth uh, to recognize and acknowledge. And, and I think... Um, what I loved about yesterday is, and, I, and I've already said this to you, but like sincerely mean it. Like it's, it's so powerful to me to see other people influence my children. Um, but my son, in the middle of this, he wanted to buy your book. And again, I was thinking, it's not really a 10-year-old book. And, but, you know, he's dyslexic, and anytime he shows any interest in a book, I'm like, let's, let's do it. Um, and so we bought it, and we, we, we'll go home last night, and I take his sister to an activity, and when I come home, he was like, I already started reading the book, and he started talking to me about this plane analogy, and he, he's like just into it, and then he spends like 30 minutes unpacking the whole day, because I didn't know he was paying attention, and he starts like just talking and talking and talking super, just, you know, excitedly, and, and he has this like, he just wants to know more. He's very curious, and so I, I just want to say thank you for discipling my son, um, I know you didn't come here for me, um, um, but um, thank you, because it does, I think it takes community. I'm just his dad, after all, and I'm a pastor, so of course I'm going to say it, and right. um, it's wonderful. It's the same with my kids. Like, yeah. They just think I'm a boomer. They're like, yeah. okay, boomer. All right, right. <laughs> so I do appreciate that, but I also share that to say, for everyone here, um, to say, like, you know, this might sound heavy, or it might sound like a lot to tackle, or a lot to pay attention to. 
But I'm thinking, man, if a 10-year-old can lean into this, like, all of us can. I mean, it's really, it's just one step at a time. You don't have to know everything. You just got to start and yeah. go. And um, in the midst of all of it, you know, there's another thing that my kids picked up from school, and I use the phrase at home a lot, and I think it applies in this. Um, you know, put first things first. And the first and most important thing at the end of the day is always going to be Jesus. Yeah. And uh, there's so many things in this world that we're going to debate and have questions about, but at the end of the day, it comes down to Christ. And I know you believe that. You've said that over and over again. And, um, and that's what I appreciate about your work and your voice in this sphere of, of Christian culture in this world right now. And um, so I just say, like, you know, I have to say this because I'm, you know, an old millennial, so I'm slightly cynical. She didn't come just to make money and sell books. Like, I don't think that's your motive. Um, I think you you genuinely want to see Christ proclaimed and people to know the truth. And um, and so thank you so much, oh, so much you. for all your work and for what you're contributing. And you put a lot out there for free. You have a podcast and a blog and, and YouTube. Um, YouTube, all those things. And so I just encourage you all to to start and um, let's let's be faithful together. And so thank you so much thank for joining you. us this weekend. I appreciate it.